Welcome to the Better Bozo. Welcome to the Better Bozo. My name is Jeff James Howard. My name's Mika. Jeff James Howard. Jeff James Howard. <laughs> James. Well, thanks for that, Mika. <laughs> what a spontaneous and surprising cheerleading action. I love that. Um, Jeff, I'm one of your biggest yeah. fans. Well, thanks, Mika. It means a lot. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm not sure what you're cheering me for. Um, it feels like forever, even though we did this a couple weeks ago. Um, we're in the midst of COVID-19 coronavirus. Uh, the United States has double the cases of any other country in the world right now. Uh, and it's a whole wild ass time. And today we're going to be speaking with Stephanie Lepp, um, who, among other things, has a really great podcast called Reckonings, where people with irreconcilable differences actually reconcile. So a bit about Stephanie. She's an artist and producer whose work strives to hold up a mirror inviting us to grow from what we see, which is pretty cool. Uh, her recent works include Infinite Lunchbox, a YouTube channel devoted to making sense of and lemonade with this moment. Uh, where I'm coming from, an experience designed to build empathy by speaking other people's perspectives in first person. And she's got a great two-minute video to watch mm -hmm. about that, which is, which is pretty cool. Mm -hmm. uh, and it seems actually quite effective. And then Reckonings, a podcast that tells the stories of people who've shifted their political worldviews, transcended extremism, and made other kinds of transformative change. And this next part, I totally want to ask about. Stephanie is currently exploring benevolent uses of synthetic media, specifically asking, how might we use our fictional selves to elicit our better angels? <laughs> what do you want to ask her about? <laughs> Uh, what the hell does that mean? Is what I want to ask her. I mean, I get it. It's sort of like, I think of, uh, two things. One is we, we have a particular mask that we wear on the web, right? Here's my best side. Here's the angle of my face that looks good. Mm -hmm. You know, only, only the handsomest, um, oh, Stephanie says she's here in the Zoom, too. Here we go. Hello, Stephanie. Welcome to the Better Bozo. It's nice to meet you. Thank you. We love that we get the opportunity to share space with you, even if it's electronic and, um, you know, on the screen. Yes. <sighs> but so be it. Yes. I mean, that's kind of how, how we're doing things these days. So. Yep. Yeah. It's true. And I guess just by way of introduction... Hi, we've spoken before. Mika, I'm a political activist. I love organizing. I love strategy. And that's kind of what I bring to our conversations. And, and Jeff, do you want to jump in and, and, and bring it in? Yeah. Uh, I, I call myself a psychotherapist because I've been that for eight-ish years. And I'm transitioning to calling myself a guide. So it's still a new muscle um, and trying to figure out what the hell that means. And I also lead men's groups and do some education and just uh, living in the mystery. That's what I'll say. Uh -huh. Good to meet you both. Yeah, Stephanie, thanks again for being here. Yeah. We already read your bio a little bit earlier before you hopped on. So uh, we took care of that. 
I, I'd love to just just jump right in um, to to talk about. Well, there are multiple things that you shared with with us that caught my attention. Um, I want to start by talking about Reckonings, your podcast, um, and the question you offered us: Why you started it? Because I'm really curious about what was the path that brought you to talk about irreconcilable differences and where people actually reconciled. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I can say that, you know, throughout my early experiences with activism and social change, you know, in college and and I guess early into my professional life, you know, the question would always come up for me, like, am I changing anyone's mind? You know, am I actually moving anyone on climate change or mandatory minimums or, you know, whatever issue I happen to be focused on at the time, which of course then begs the question, how do people actually change their hearts Mm -hmm. and minds? And that question kind of just became like a loose fascination of mine. And I started trying to kind of research around, but I honestly didn't even know what search term to Google. It's like, am I Googling worldview transformation? Is that even a thing? Like I know behavioral economics is a thing, but I'm not looking to find out what makes people floss their teeth more often. You know, I'm, I'm looking to, to, to find out what, what moves people in really fundamental ways. And yeah. this loose exploration of mine, I finally realized might be really powerful to manifest in the form of stories of people who have actually made these kinds of change, you know, as a podcast. And so mm-hmm. a couple of years ago, I launched Reckonings to explore precisely this question of, yeah, how, how do people actually change their hearts and minds? And, you know, so each episode tells the story of someone who made some kind of transformative change. And I know we'll, we'll go into the, we'll go into more specifics, but just to give a couple examples. So for example, a deeply conservative congressman who made a dramatic shift on climate change or a white supremacist who managed to transcend a life of hate or uh, the, the most recent episode is the, um, the person who built Facebook's business model. He is the architect of Facebook's business model, and he had his own reckoning and realized that he himself was addicted to his phone and has since devoted his life to tackling technology addiction. And so, you know, it's been this, you could call it, uh, you know, like a diverse cast of characters, but the through line is really just an exploration of this question, you know, how do people change? And and how do people change in ways that connect to or scale into broader social and political change? Mm. Yeah, thanks for that. And that lines up with what, we're trying to be up to on this show is, well, how, how do we become better? Um, so I love the exploration. It feels juicy to me. Um, I'm excited to dig into what you know about how people change, what you've learned just through your show and, and for yourself. Um, cause I, I know you're a parent, uh, and, and I'm also a parent and that was a big ass kicker of, of forced, oh, yeah. uh, dynamic change. Yes. So, I'm curious about all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. No, parenthood is just basically, yeah, adapting to the nature of the reality in front of you as it continues to evolve in real time (laughs) constantly. So, yeah. 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 Well said. Yeah. Cool. Mika, what do you got, man? 
Uh, well, I mean, for the purposes of uh, of our conversation, just to sharpen and clarify, we're looking for help from allies and and friends and family that can hop on and help us all become better boda. Sorry, better bozo, so to speak. Um, uh-huh. Whatever a bodo is, I don't know what that <laughs> a is. Better bodo. We, we want to get better at that too, for we sure. Want- <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, better bodos, better bozos. <laughs> yeah. Bongos, better bongos. And. Um, <laughs> And diving into, I mean, I've no, I've listened to some of um, your episodes that seem to me very, very much related to, you know, a better bozo ness. How do we how we improve upon ourselves? And there's so many different ways. Um, you know, some one was the Eve Ensler um, oh, yeah. conversation, but also the conversation with Abraham Latiner and yes. and. Um, and in what I'm hoping to harvest to learn is some tools, some lessons for us bozos out there on, you know, how are we on? How do we fumble up this learning curve together is is our is our tagline for it. I love it. Definitely fumbling. Um, <laughs> so, well, should I answer this? I mean, ha- I mean, OK, yeah. So, right, Goodness, so by this, all means, Stephanie, but, <laughs> you already have something. To- <laughs> yeah. So the sixty four million dollar question. Uh-huh. How do we change? Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I, I mean, before before I started Reckonings, I used to have this, you know, highly unscientific running list of things that I thought radically transformed people. So, you know, falling in love, near death experiences, um, psychedelics. Um, rarely sometimes but very rarely information because we usually only trust information that confirms what we already believe um yeah and from what i have seen in you know and you know this is not a scientific investigation by any stretch but you know i've done probably over 300 hours of interviews at this point with former white supremacists people who've shifted on climate change gun control abortion you know all over the place so From what I've seen, it's not that those things that, you know, that list of things, it's not that those things like make us change what those things have in common or or what they do is that they reveal to us the difference between who we think we are and who we actually are, Uh, you know, or, or the difference between the impact we think we're having on the world and the impact we're actually having on the world. And it's, it's seeing that difference. It's seeing that gap. That is what initiates the process of transformation. And so, for example, you know, the transformation process of Frank Mink, who um, he's the former white supremacist from episode 19. This is just to give an example. Mm. So his, his transformation process actually started in jail when he started playing sports with black inmates and, and started getting to know black people really for the first time in his life. And which, and, and realizing black people are actually okay, which was very confusing to him. And it was coming from that experience and the confusion that that brought up, that he had this experience of kindness from a Jewish person where he couldn't find a job he gets out of jail looking for a job, can't find a job. He has swastika tattoos all over him. And it's a Jewish person who wow. offers him a job. And so, you know, and at first it was like, okay, fine. Black people are okay, but Jewish people are not okay. It was like, okay, black people and Jewish people are okay. You know, but like at some point 
you know, this just reveals to him the total bankruptcy of his ideology and really and, and ultimately reveals to him the difference between the person he thought he was this, you know, like def- righteous defender of the white race and the person he actually was, which was just a, 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 a violent and bigoted individual. And that and that <laughs> is what prompted his transformation process. Yeah, that two things come up strongly there because I think you mentioned how we think we're impacting the world and how we actually are. Nick and I talked about this intent versus impact. It's a thing I speak about often. Uh-huh, is yes. that that old trope of well, the, I didn't mean to hurt your feelings, or I didn't mean to upset you, so right. therefore I'm absolved. That very much, uh, that's not my problem. Kind of stance uh, that certainly has pervaded some of. Well, me for a long time. Um, and then that moment of realization, which I think requires a certain amount of capacity, willingness, uh, uh, awakeness. That's also fascinating to me as Frank, for instance, the white supremacist, that something, it sounds like, consistently overrode his cultural programming. And he, it, it was like a crack, like the Sun magazine talks about a crack, uh, or, or I guess it's Viktor Frankl. Oh, I'm all over the place here, but sort of crack in the wall where some light gets through and, and something changes. Mm-hmm. That moment gives me goosebumps on my left arm right now. And I'm really um, curious about that for you, because it feels like that's what you're angling it towards and the kind of the lens you're looking through. Yeah. And sometimes it takes fewer cracks and sometimes it takes more cracks. But like at a certain point, mm-hmm. the cracks are unavoidable. The mm-hmm. light gets through, you know, and it's also mm-hmm. it's also just. It's so, I just find that also so hopeful because it mean, it means, um, you know, it's like we don't need to sh- shove it down people's throats, you know? It's like sometimes, yeah. or maybe most times, all we really need is just a clear look in the mirror in order to grow from what we see. You know, that, that, that is just such a hopeful statement. <laughs> that is just a yeah. hope, such a hopeful statement you know, phenomenon about, you know, the human condition and the human capacity to evolve. Mm-hmm. Can I, can I push back a little, just as the, like the Israeli cynic, um, in the room? <laughs> the sovereign. Yes, please. Um, <laughs> so I, my experience and I, and is yes, that there isn't a, there isn't a moment of transformation. There's a process, there's a curve and there are cracks and 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 I I can relate to this having um, been born and raised in Jerusalem, and for a few good years of my life spending spent I spent a lot of years in uniform and gung ho to be a combat soldier, and it took me a while through military service to realize oh this is really this is really fucked up like this is what 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 we're doing here isn't protecting borders we're occupying civilian communities and lands um and that that takes time and the question is had been since then people have asked what changed me because i i I became very active in solidarity with palestinian communities Uh um and my experience was actually that it's not that i had changed i stayed the same person over it all my horizons had had become wider, right? Uh-huh. I, I, the, the world got a little bigger, which is what I'm hearing you um, describe. 
And I gotta say, despite that experience, that personal experience of mine, part of this journey that I'm on with Jeff, uh-huh. trying to like, can we rope some guys into this? Can we all get a little bit better here? Can we can we please organize and look each other in the eyes or in the mirror and do a little better? It seems to be a little confusing because it's not necessarily working. Uh-huh. I'm a, I mean, I'm at odds with the double headed axe of my own experience of gathering community. And at the same time, Trump is president. Bolsonaro is president in Brazil. Victor Orban, like this double headed axe that we're experiencing around the world is is very real. Like, it's not as if the new paradigm is. Handing is 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 at our reach. It still feels while at the same time that the world is transforming midst coronavirus. I don't know. I'm going I'm zooming way out of control here, but I'm I'm still curious where you. uh, I guess I'm looking for a connection here for the logic of 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 organizing versus. um, But like going inwards versus focusing outwards, you mean? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I guess I don't know if, uh, you know, if we, we could I don't know if. Can you say it's not working or can you say we're not doing it? I mean, I think what what I can say is or what I've learned to say is that changing your mind is changing your life. You know, it's not like your world. I mean, going back to Frank Mink, let's just say, you know, former white supremacist, he says. He says, you know, I cut everything and everyone that was not part of the movement, that was not part of the white supremacy movement, out of my life. So that's all I have. You know, my whole image of me is gone, and I'm going to have to build something new. You know, our, our minds, our worldviews, the, the way that we think, is, it are intimately tied up with our identity, our community, how we talk, how we dress, you know, what we have tattooed all over our bodies. And so, yes, you know, human beings might have potential to make extraordinary change and when we're thinking about changing people's minds or asking people to change people's minds or thinking about changing public opinion what we're really asking them to do is to change their lives which is really hard i mean your 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 views you know as a soldier in israel like i can't even imagine you know it's like are like connected to the views of your fellow soldiers and of your family and of your friends and so it's not so simple. It's, you know, th- this is, this is, this is really hard. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. And for, for a lot of people, I mean, Frank included, and actually a lot of my guests included changing their quote unquote minds involved dissolving relationships with friends and or family and or possibly moving away, like ha- having to actually move to another place. Mm. So Yeah, but I mean, but the way it's like, okay, so that's really hard. So, you know, then I just think in terms of, well, if we're going to ask people to jump ship, we just have to give them a ship to jump to. Like where, like that's where (laughs) communities like Footsteps come in. If you're familiar with Footsteps, it's a it's a network of of former Orthodox Jews that help current Orthodox Jews explore the possibility of leaving the Orthodoxy. But it's not just explore the possibility. It also just becomes like. A, network, a community for you to kind of jump to, you know, because again, otherwise, you know, it's like if I'm going to change my life or change my mind and therefore change my life, you know, where is my new life? Like, where can I actually go 
to kind of to, to have, you know, kind of like a starting point for the new community that I am going to have with this new worldview. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the ship to jump to feels like um, such a critical component that's often missing. It's sort of like the alcoholic that just white knuckles their way out of booze yeah. and then doesn't supplant anything yeah. in its place. Yeah. And so it's, it's just a, a, a Jenga tower waiting for a stiff breeze to fall back into relapse. And, and like, what do we expect people to choose? Like an existing tower that at least is standing, you know, versus right. nothing. And familiar. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, the whole notion you said dissolve, like dissolve relationships, maybe even move away. Um, yeah, that process of disidentifying is really hard. It's utterly destabilizing. So if there's not a light at the end of the tunnel or a whole different tunnel with a different light, <laughs> I agree. There's nothing There's nothing that's probably going to be... We won't be able to sustain it. That's my experience. We just can't. We can only use sheer will for so long. And then we're going to get in a fight or be really lonely or depressed one day or one week or one month. And then we're back to our old pathways. Yeah. But we, but we can use, I mean, the beauty is like we can use what we understand about human nature to serve us here. Like if we know that we need belonging, we know that we need community, we know that we need certain things, then we just kind of like create the ship to jump to that has the things we need, you know? So it doesn't have to be like, oh, woe is us, you know, we're going to leave our community and therefore we can't change. It's like, okay, well, what can we do to kind of Build the build the things that we do need, so that it, it you know change becomes more possible. I've heard similar concepts from climate chaos activists who have yeah. been learning over the last few years that it's not enough to jump up and down and and scream at people that the Titanic is sinking, um, <laughs> which alienates a lot of people. <laughs> which alienates a lot of people, and everybody's yeah. like, "Really?" What? And you seem to really like the Titanic, <laughs> jerk. You're right. Um, right. But but yeah. actually to arrange a party ship alongside yeah, exactly. the Titanic and say, hey, let's, let's go over Probably. to the party boat over there. I love it. Better music. <laughs> right? Better, Better cocktails. Yeah. yeah, totally. Yeah, that's, I mean, and actually one of one of my episodes is with, um, well, actually I mentioned him, the, the congressman. It's, he's Bob Inglis, South Carolina. He made a dramatic shift on climate change and then lost in the midterms because of it but he started a yeah he's he's kind of like yeah one of the well he started a an organization that mobilizes conservatives around climate change for this exact reason he has built a ship to jump to um and and yeah and he's now one of kind of the leading conservative spokespeople for climate action and that role is really important because, you know, the people who are part of the organization is called Republican. I, I don't really totally understand what the it's our Republic and then E.N. instead of A.N. Oh, environment, I see. Yeah, yeah. I get, um, but um, the, the members, I'm just going to guess, you know, the members of Republican are people who probably would not join a lot of, you know, your standard climate change organizations lefty progressive yeah (laughs) or join any climate change organization yeah especially if they believe in the rapture (laughs) 
Well, that's, yeah, that's a whole nother. <laughs> that's a whole other conversation. Whole we don't need to go down again. See, here's a great, yeah, we don't need to open that can of worms. We just go somewhere else. That's totally fine. <laughs> I mean, we can. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Uh, so I still want to circle back, uh, uh, Mika, uh, I want to circle back actually to you because you were kind of pushing back and I, I am curious, I'm still holding those, what, what I would say kind of in response to what you shared, Mika, is that it feels like a series of realizations that now start adding up kind of to your point, Stephanie, that so many cracks and you can't ignore the fact that the wall is crumbling. So you either so I was about to quote Morgan Freeman, but I'm not going to. Uh, ah, <laughs> it's a teaser. That's what they call a teaser. Uh, <laughs> but I, but I, I want to circle back to you, Mika, in terms of your pushback. Do you feel, where are you at with that? I, in terms of change realization? I, I, um, I love it. I'm relating. My experience is that these th- that one, there's no moment transformation. These things happen over a long for me, it's happened over a long period of time. I love what you're naming about the boat. And I think because with each one, the the the, um, the examples that you gave, whether it's Bob Inglis or Footsteps or Frank, um, having. And, and it's and, and, and when we're narrowing down tools that we might be using for bet to help better bozos down from the high, you know, from the branch on the tree is usually <laughs> just kind of. You don't worry. You can, we can, you can help you down. Are these comfort zones mm-hmm. where there's community that's ready? And sometimes, and sometimes that shows up in different ways. Sometimes, for example, for, for, um, a, a, an ultra Orthodox Jew to leave the community, there needs to be, um, a friend who's, who, who understands that community. Well, a community that, uh, will accept, the awkward um, steps of, of discovering a whole secular world. And there's going to even need to be financial support. Like there's a whole yeah. network and each one is a whole. So that's, that's just some of my takeaway about um, what I'm hearing you say, at least about what the boat can look like. And it's different. Yeah. 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 And, and I also, I want to um, elevate what you said about um you know, it's like I didn't change. My horizons were broadened and I don't actually see the kind of change I'm interested in as like 180 degree change, you know, from pro, you know, pro life to pro choice. You know, it's 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 evolutionary change. It's from certainty to uncertainty, from, you know, dogma to ideological liberty, from being you know fearfully attached to my way of thinking to feeling the freedom to reflect on my views and be critical of my views and change my views to adapt to the reality around me. So it is more, I would say, of a broadening of horizon. I don't, I don't see it as like a negating of my previous self and like a transition to a totally new self. If anything, it's include and transcend, you know, it's like I keep my former self and I just grow. So I really hear you. I really hear you on that. Yeah, yeah, 300%. I love that. I can feel my heart singing just hearing you say that. Because my soul seed throughout it, and not and my childhood, and the, the principles that my parents have raised me on, the, a lot of that, those core values didn't actually ever shift. The horizon, realizing, well, 
just to be specific, I think realizing as a cis white man over the years, how much privilege I have and how um, the freedom with which I can move around in the world versus other people who might not experience that. And there's a big, oh, way. Yes. I don't really, I haven't really seen that. And that's a, that suddenly my horizons like, boop, it just grew a little bit more to it, at least see what, know what I don't know. Right. Um, yeah. And, and I feel like there's a little bit of like, it's like the, what I believed is still true but under a smaller set of circumstances, you know, where it used to be globally true. Now it's like, it has a more partial truth to it because my conception of what is true has expanded. You know, so. Yeah, that's yeah. hard. How did, when you talk with Frank or Bob, do you get the feeling of, I mean, there's loss there too. Yes. Yes. And there's mourning. Uh, yeah. Hopefully. Uh, hopefully. Hopefully yeah. that, that's present. I yeah. mean, it, it really, it, that really depends on the nature of, you know, maybe like how much you had to jump ship or how far away your new ship is from your previous ship. I mean, for Frank, he really had to cut a lot of ties. So, and I think it was like an entire, I don't even know how long, like a decade or more of his life that he's, you know, like of an identity that he's moving away from and therefore having to mourn. And then there's like all the lost time and regret and all of that. So whereas with Bob, his situation actually came from his, the, the first kind of prompt for him was his son saying to him, basically like, dad, I love you and I expect better from you. It was, it was, wow. his, it, it was not, his son wasn't threatening him. His son <laughs> was like loving him into, you know, dipping his toe in the possibility of changing his views on climate change. But so he, so there, there was, I mean, it, well, actually, certainly there was like, there was definitely pain in terms of confronting his, you know, his constituents <laughs> once he changed his views. Yeah. But, but as far as like his familial ship, it actually made his, like nuclear family ship um, tighter, you know, and yeah. like stronger. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, the thing that stands out for me there, I'm going to circle back around to um, being a parent because yeah. <laughs> loving something uh, that's bigger than us, right. That, that, that uh, is outside of us and, and intricately inexorably connected to us. That feels like a gorgeous example of that, of where ideology loses to uh, connection. It loses to uh, integrity, uh, the, uh, some version of integrity. Yeah. Who is he as a father? If he basically tells his son to screw off, you're full of shit. Yeah. The, the, we're, we're not causing planet, uh, you know, or, or climate chaos. So th that feels also dovetails nicely as I see your work more and more, Stephanie, around uh, service, like a service orientation and, and, and you, me, Mika, acting as mirrors for one another and, and the people in our lives. And this, yeah. to me, it, it speaks to the being of service to something larger than ourselves, which doesn't exclude us. We still have to take care of us. Yeah. It's just a different orientation. So I really love that example with Bob. Yeah, and, that, and that's also very hopeful. Like, wow, thank God we made that choice. 
you know? Yeah. That really bodes well for us as a human species. <laughs> Which the, choice the are choice you speaking to, to? Like you were saying, the trade-off between ideology and, you know, being hmm. in integrity and as connection. a parent. Yeah, right. And right. ideology and connection. You know, that gotcha. that's that that's the choice many of us or maybe the majority of us still make really just because we're pursuing our deeper need, you know, it really bodes well sure. for us. Yeah. In terms of survival. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. Individual and collective. Yeah. 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 Stephanie, was there a particular transformation that you experienced? Do you mind me asking? <laughs> no, it's so funny that I really don't get asked this question hardly ever. Um, and it's actually <laughs> Way to go, Mika. <laughs> Um, and it's a question I'm actually kind of terrified of, which I'm still going to answer, but it's, it's, um, it just makes me that much more in awe of my guests. Am I trying to bide time here? Kind of. <laughs> it's okay. Um, <laughs> as you get your ducks in it's, order. Um, it's purple. Yeah, right. As the wheels get turning. <laughs> no, but I, when I get asked, it's like, damn, that's kind of a scary thing to talk about. And, um, mm. my guests are just, you know, absolutely extraordinary people. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't, I don't have like the one answer to that question. I can say something I haven't, I haven't, um, said publicly, um, just because it's, I'll say it because it's true. And that is that, um, I have definitely had a change around using sensuality to, um, using my sensuality to be powerful. I have been a dancer all my life and I know when I want to command attention or right in the past when I wanted to command attention or I could just, I could just kind of, yeah, use my sensuality or, or sexuality to get attention in the room or to elevate myself or to, you know, um, for those that can't see Stephanie, she's moving her shoulders and neck very, <laughs> very centrally and sexually. I, I, I'm, I'm definitely um, paying attention. Okay, great. Well, then it see, so yeah. it worked. I would use it because it worked. And then yeah. when I started seeing my now husband, he it, it made him uncomfortable for obvious reasons. And and he, mm. you know, he kind of called me out on it. It's like, is that really? And not in like a, not in like a. I mean, that might sound. However, it might sound him being a white man. Um, called you in. Yeah, called me in. Sure. Or just held yeah. up a mirror, we could say. And the truth is that mm-hmm. isn't, that is not how I wanted to build power or exert power mm-hmm. is kind of leaning on that or over leaning on that. And so I did kind of go 180 degrees in the opposite direction in a way. Like I... You know, I don't, I've just kind of changed the way I move my body in public, but to like, I think to a point where I've actually lost something that is, that is worthy, that is worthy in a way, you know, Mm, mm. I, beauty is beautiful. What can I say about it? Beauty (laughs) just is beautiful. And it's, you know, it's, I I enjoy admiring beauty and so, um, and sensuality. And so there is still a question for me of how do I, appropriately engage sensuality or I don't even know what to call it. Just the way I, the way I would intuitively, I I don't even know what intuitively is yet. I guess that's what I'm trying to find, but 
let's just say intuitively for now, the way I would intuitively move my body and kind of like express myself if I was neither only leaning on that to get attention nor trying to avoid it entirely. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. Stephanie, my partner, who's a, uh, she calls herself a recover, recovering therapist. Uh, <laughs> and, and she would give what you're describing uh, the name erotic intelligence, oh, which, sure. which doesn't necessarily have anything to do with sex or intercourse or anything, but simply erotic intelligence, that intuitive eros that you being in contact or any one of us being in contact with, uh, well, I would say connection with anything. Mother yeah. Nature, the wind, a stream, uh, an attractive human, uh, an animal, or just the feeling of being alive. Yeah, I like yeah. that. That's that's a very that's a very nice and like, I mean, that obviously puts a nice positive spin on it because it's intelligent. But that, but that's, I yeah. mean, ultimately, that that's, I mean, that's what it it is, and it's 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 learning to use the intelligence of it rather than just the just you know. I guess unintelligence, the, the mindless, well, well, using it in a yeah, mindless way. Yeah. Totally. And I, yeah. I want to make a point relative to where it feels like I'll use the language of um, like depth psychology, where you're in a bit of a, or you have been a bit of a liminal space and in between, you're not previous Stephanie who used to, you know, move her shoulders and <laughs> I'm trying to do my, my best. Doing great. Uh, thank you. Thank you. It yeah. feels good actually. Yeah. Right? Uh, so you're not that anymore and you're not yet integrated in terms of how you want to use it intelligently yeah. and deliberately. And I would say this is some version of shadow work mm-hmm. is that yeah. your husband was like, Hey, what are you, what's going on there? What are you mm-hmm. up to when you do that? Mm-hmm. doesn't feel good. Can we talk about it? And mm-hmm. to, you know, to acknowledge both of you being able to engage there and, and receive the reflection. Cause like Mika saying, that shit is hard to receive reflection about a part of us that, gets us a thing and has for years mm-hmm. and no longer really serves the, the person we want to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, and there's also, I mean, there's a social and cultural context to all this too. I mean, historically that was one of the only ways women sure. could accrue. And it was the only power. sort of accepted so, way, right? Yeah. 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 So yeah. things are changing and thank God. And let's evolve to that, you know? Oh my goodness, I love this. I feel like there's so many different things here to unpack. One of the first things I kind of want to name and thank God or thank the goddess in this case (laughs) is the opportunity to one, suspend judgment about all of it. And I say this right now, maybe hopefully as a a bozo getting better. um, (laughs) And and I hear the okay that we give. Um, Abraham Latiner actually was the guy, it was, was the friend who coined the phrase um, hug a Nazi, punch a Nazi um, in, the, in the calling out versus calling in kind of way where uh-huh. we know we're naming certain things need to be faced. We need to deal with this. There's white supremacy or misogyny, sexism, racism. Um, these are all things that we need to tackle and call out. And at the same time, as we call them in, we're suspending judgment of them. And I, and, and, when you're describing um, this shift, this transformation, and 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 within the spaciousness of not necessarily having to do a close knit 180, but a broadening of horizons, we're suspending judgment of you know historically what has been one of the only tools in the kit 
to assert certain power to. Mm-hmm. Oh, also just realizing um, that we're that we're relieving the patriarchy of its uh, uh, of its power, and knowing that these are also ways to communicate. And I love leaning into those ways. I love yeah. these days feeling into my body. And I don't if I don't have somebody like you who might be more familiar with it because you may have been raised to be a little more familiar with those tools than I, I won't learn how to do that. Anyway, I'm just, I'm just Uh bringing it all into, all into it with appreciation and, and, and the suspension of judgment, which I think is, is is very important to this conversation. Yeah. And just, it's like, how much fun, how much more fun would it be? You know, how much more beautiful would it be? It's like, what is the alternative to go back to a more like Puritan relationship with our bodies and each other you know so it's like how much more fun and exciting and yeah refreshing and honest could it be if if we found that erotic intelligence if we communicated with that erotic intelligence to be sexual to be queer to be (laughs) to be able to communicate on different levels with different genders to realize oh i'm a different gender than what i was raised to be yeah, and, and, and like get to admire each other's erotic intelligence, mm-hmm. you know, just as that, not as like a pickup or like an attempt to seduce, but, you know, just as like part of the beauty that someone has and gets to express. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. <clears throat> communication, you both said that word and there feels like a yes to all of that. And one of the challenges I see a lot of is people having not gone through the process that you went through, Stephanie, in terms of hearing reflection from your soon to be husband uh, about your behavior and you being able to take it in and, and essentially clean house, which, which shadow work, again, I'm referring to that uh, is really hard work. We can't see it ourselves. So we need the help of others. Uh, you know, some of the indicators would be if we're really disgusted by someone or something, that's a good indicator that that's my shit. Um, <laughs> and, and the kind of bozo, hopefully better bozo moment I want to point to is that in terms of, say, erotic energy, sexual energy, we should all feel free to do that in a perfect world, except it's not a perfect world. So one of the challenges I've seen a lot is uh, communication that is unclean and I move uh, on one part of it because it seems clear to me in my sort of state, whatever that is, maybe unenlightened or partially enlightened or something. Uh, And then moving in and and getting um, uh, vitriol coming back towards me because I am now, say, Uh. sexually harassing or I'm making assumptions. uh, I'm I'm a creep or, uh, you know, do you see where I'm going here in terms of mixed messages and people not necessarily being accountable for what, also might be back to intent versus impact. Mm-hmm. Like, like for instance, to, to keep it kind of binary, if a woman is dancing really sexy in a club and she keeps looking at me and I go up and say, hey, can I dance with you? And she's like, back off, creep. Right. And then I'm like, what the fuck? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So there feels like an important moment to, to, to dig into a little there in terms of the lack of what I'll call cleanliness in our communication. Yeah. I mean, as they say, you know, evolution is beautiful, but it's not pretty. It's like, this is just <laughs> yeah. messy. You yeah. know, it's like we're all at different places, different speeds. I mean, we just happen to be also in a moment where 
because there's 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 a lot of change happening now in this specific domain with the Me Too movement, etc. Yeah. There's just it's just it's just a lot of people a lot of, you know, I mean, just to be kind of a little more like straightforward, you know, men are being heldable to 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 standards they didn't grow up with. Totally. Men are just getting caught in the crossfire of change. It's just messy. And it's like, you know, we can say like, that's not fair. And in some cases it's not fair, but there's also just a bigger evolutionary process happening that we all, most of us would want to celebrate and support. But yeah, it's, it's yeah. messy because this woman in the club might be at some point in her, you know, relationship to her erotic intelligence and you're at a different, you know, so yeah, this is just yeah. a messy time all of that yeah and one might yeah. also make the argument that that it is fair <laughs> that, that, that after you know, <laughs> historically speaking yes well millennia if we're, if we're talking about a point system uh -huh. it's definitely fair it's okay it's, yeah. a, it's yeah. okay to feel a little discomfort it's it's mm -hmm. new it's uncomfortable by definition mm -hmm. and that's okay <laughs> let's mm -hmm. learn what discomfort feels like and learn to get comfortable with it yeah. And per the mirror, per seeing the gap, it's like if you actually care about how you affect other people, then the answer should be thank you for letting me know. Right. Right. Because right. Yeah. I actually yeah. don't want to hurt you. So whatever, whatever is considered socially appropriate or, or even legal, you know, it's like irrespective of wherever we draw our cultural norms or social boundaries, I don't want to treat you in a way you don't want to be treated. So Therefore, yeah. thank you. I care about that. And now I get to learn. Mm, yeah. That's an ideally, ideally, you know. <laughs> I mean, that's what, what you, you know, it's like could... just as a specific example, that that's what Joe Biden could have said. Right. Thank you for letting me know how to treat you in the way that you wanted that I that, I, you know, to have the effect on you. That is the kind of effect I want to have on people. Mm. <laughs> yeah, it's so simple. It's so simple, and yet, and and and, um, listening to Eve Ensler's interview that you had posted on your podcast, and her n noticing that, oh wait, there's never actually historically been an apology. No man has ever made a public. Well, I take issue with that because there have been on reckonings. But yes, she does. She I did. Does I did, point. too. I, no, I, I took issue with that, too. I did notice that there had been some public apologies. Well, not just on reckonings. I mean, yeah. But anyway, but yeah, there have not been like, yeah, it's rare to have a high profile apology from a public figure accused of some kind of sexual, credibly accused of some kind of sexual abuse of power. Yeah, and when when she described in her interview the the kind of the I don't know what I perceive to be the solidarity amongst men that if one of us one of us apologizes and starts pulling on that thread, uh, the patriarchy might fall apart suddenly and we'd lose all the power. Um, and anyway, that just, that's what comes to mind the 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 weight of the difference it in a dance club. In that yeah. scenario that Jeff, yeah. you're you're describing about like just being able to say to not take offense from yeah. a woman who's actually saying no, creep, I don't want to have anything to do with you, um, and to shrivel into like, oh my god, uh, I can't believe she spoke to me that way. How dare she? Versus, thank you so much for clarifying. 
I'm really <laughs> glad to know now. That seems yeah. I'm just naming that as a as yeah. a bozo in training. That <laughs> um, that that in it as itself is a big. There's a big shift there that happens. It's the same. It's the same with this whole like um, you know. It's like you hear you hear bozos kind of complaining about um, you know having to communicate more explicitly. Right. It's like, oh, well, that's going to ruin the mood and that's going to. Well, where's the romance? You know, it's yeah. And it's like, well, what, well, first of all, what would you rather like? Not communicate and then find out later that you made her feel, feel violated <laughs> or learn how to communicate in a way that enhances the romance for both of you. You know, in a way it can actually make the sexual experience better and more pleasurable. So exponentially, yeah, yes. yeah. So like, there's another kind of like shift in th- you know, shift in thinking. I guess that yeah, it's it's yeah. I think you're yes. speaking to our uh, very much fast food instant gratification culture. Um, it's in, when it comes to why someone wouldn't communicate in the bedroom, for instance. Um, because you want it to be romantic and sexy and exciting and also in a nice tidy little package. Um, and then the speaking it really, it does absolutely change things. But to your point from earlier, it's a broadening of the horizons. It's an increasing of the capacity to stay with the charge or let the charge dip a little and then reconnect even stronger. Uh Um, and I think what lots of folks, definitely in my experience, they want to get to the mountaintop. You do one thing, cool, I did that thing. I don't have to do it ever again. But that's not actually how it works when it comes to building intimacy and depth of connection and yeah. accountability and responsibility for ourselves and others. And and that is part of the, in one way, it's a buzzkill for the, for the one of us that wants to just drink a soda and, you know, have a Twinkie. Uh, <laughs> but ultimately, it, we're talking about a, a deeper, richer, uh, more expansive, more connected life. Yeah. As I see it. Yeah. And yeah. once you taste it, I mean, hopefully if you taste it and when you taste it, I mean, it just tastes yeah. so much better. There's no going back so to the Twinkies. Uh, yeah, maybe there's there no is, going back. Maybe there is the Twinkies, you know, but like within the context of like consensual Twinkie consumption, you know, it's <laughs> sure, like we can just sure. agree that like right now we just want to have a Twinkie and it's all yeah. good. Uh, my, my take <laughs> on traditional romance is that actually in a, in, in a man's world, where men are dominant and decide what happens and when there's an, um, an atmosphere of mystery in it. What's he going to do now? When's he going to, when am I going to make the kiss? Will he have the, it's all, it's all left in the realm of male domination and control. And that's what I think I was raised with as romance. Um, Whereas with communication, and all the things that you just listed, Jeff, the communication and the and the intimacy and the accountability um, that completely dissipates the the big question mark of what's the what's the guy going to do within the male dominated space into, oh, we get to actually unpack all of it and share the whole experience intimately together, which is a whole different layer. That traditional romance is completely dissipates from the room. It's a whole new ball game at that point. Yes, you're right. The quality is exponentially bigger, but I can, but it, 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 it means we have to face our fear of losing control as men. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and I, I actually think the bedroom is actually kind of a perfect place to experiment with that. You know, if, if there, so there's a, there's a black dominatrix in Chicago. There's a, <laughs> there's a black dominatrix in Chicago. Her name is Mistress Velvet. And she is a black dominatrix who makes her white male clients read black feminist theory. Oh, I actually I've learned about, about her from her, Abe, Le, yeah. Abe Latiner. Um, yeah. And her, yeah, her whole, it's, it's, she's brilliant. And I mean, it just kind of, to me, just brings to the fore the fact that the bedroom is actually kind of a perfect, ironically, kind of a perfect place to experiment with new dynamics of power, you know, for men to experiment with submission and with totally letting go of, of power and seeing what that feels, you know, in her case, she calls it bowing down to a black woman, you know, just ex- experiment with it, like start to kind of play with and inhabit different, you know, different distributions of power that you can then kind of export to other parts of your life. But at least just to start to experiment them within a context in which you do feel more playful or willing to get more creative, you know, but like probably more the bedroom than the boardroom. I mean, I mean, it's also a place where. Um, it's, and it's not just about, again, like doing 180 degree, you know, it's also a place potentially where, you know, in, within the context of consensual BDSM, men can also continue to dominate if that's what they really want. And that's what their partners want. I mean, again, this, yeah, this isn't just about like one way to the opposite way. It's like, okay, there are 360 degrees in this circle. Let's play with them. Let's like learn how to do more of them than just one, <laughs> you know, so that we have more adaptability and flexibility in the rest of our lives. Yeah. The, the piece about men dominating in, in the bedroom or with, within the realm of BDSM, I think it's actually pretty important for the more sensitive dudes that are kind of caught in between how to be masculine yet sensitive. So trying on in a context where it's quite clear, this is the, these are the rules. These are the rules of engagement right. I think can have a lot of power. There's no ambiguity. It's like, I got to do this thing. We have safe words. Cool. Go, you know, mm-hmm. set the timer for 15 minutes or whatever it is. Um, that, that feels empowering in the sense of removing ambiguity and hopefully adding some clarity to what, what context it's, it really works and which ones it doesn't work and how to be kind of like you said before, to continue to broaden the horizons, to expand, um, and I like how you said that, export it to other parts of our lives. Um, I often see where people are really skilled in lots of areas and they just really unskilled in some areas. Yeah. And I'll use the argument, look, you already know how to do this over there. So leverage that skill to this different context. And I bet it'll start working differently. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, listening, I'm listening to our conversation and I'm noticing... Um, Stephanie, and I wonder if you notice the same, a similar pattern, or at least this is the way it breaks down in my mind is, is is when we're, when we discuss reckoning, um, and transformation, uh, the first thing I love that we named was this, not necessarily, necessarily a 180 that there are, that our horizons, our world is growing. And Uh in that sense, there's a personal, there's personal transformation. There's community transformation, and there's collective transformation. Um, and, and when it came to the guests that you have, um, and, and maybe also 
within your own experience that there's there's noticing. I'd love for us to, to, to see if we can name some personal tools that might be helpful, like curiosity and acknowledging mm-hmm. privilege and safety that we're safe as a better bozo. I'm most always pretty darn safe. Um, and, and, and to build out from there to organizing tools. Like I hear, I hear the way you're talking that there's a little bit of an organizer in there um, <clears throat> too over the years. So I'm, so from, from personal to community to collective, if we're discussing like hashtag me too, hashtag me too was a, was a national and, and even a global collective shift that was mm-hmm. that, you know, we around the world, there's no, I, I, I'd like to think that there's, that there's no going back to where we were before. Right. So I'm curious, um, I think Jeff, uh, also, if you're, if there's certain tools that, you're, uh, that maybe we can start with just the personal um, to hold on to for, for, for this transformation, if there's something that you noticed, Frank or Bob, um, or, or you had, had noticed that were helpful as, as, as growth was going on, or is this just in hindsight? Um, no, I think there are things you can say. I mean, just just the basic phenomenon of critical self-reflection, of taking the time to ask yourself, who am I and who do I want to be? Which many, you know, religious and spiritual practices just have as part of the, you know, in Judaism, Yom Kippur is the day out of the year where you fast and you, and and that does happen to be my favorite holiday, but you fast for this reason, because you take a day to reflect on how you affect other people and how you want to be affecting other people. And I need that at least once a year, you know, but having it once a year is, and maybe New Year's resolutions, there's a little bit of that in there, but, you know, so some traditions have it kind of baked in, but um, yeah, just the phenomenon. I mean, you could call it the phenomenon of periodically taking a look in the mirror. If you do it, every day, all day, it will drive you insane. But if you have, you know, kind of just like, you know, ways of embedding it into your life, whether Mm. it's with a therapist or as part of your spiritual practice or otherwise, then, you know, you're in some way, I mean, because ultimately at the end of the day, I I mean, I feel like you're kind of just ultimately accountable to yourself or, or your conception of slash your relationship with God slash the goddess. So, and and that's where that would live, you know, is, is in this phenomenon of self-reflection. Um, and, I, and I guess the other thing I would say, too, and this might, I don't know, I feel like this is kind of like pretty obvious at this point, but is just um, just integrating the, the personal with the social. You know, if you have, a, if you are engaged in some practice of social change um, or, or in, you know, in, in activism or, you know, there, there's an issue, there's a social issue that you actively work on that you kind of, you know, you ask yourself, how, 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 how is that practice changing you? Or how should it be changing you? Or are you, you know, being the change you want to be, you know, I mean, whatever that looks like. And, and, and same with, you know, if you are in a process of personal healing and transformation or therapy or what, you know, that you ask, how, how, where does the rubber meet the road? as far as your life in the world and how that affects and touches the world. So just the integration 
of the personal and the social. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Jeff, I wonder what you're within this, this internal journey. What thoughts are coming to mind? Well, thanks, Mika. I, I'm really struck, Stephanie, as you were speaking, uh, of realizing my own stuckness in a way here. Because having been a therapist and have such such a clear focus for, you know, eight plus years, and in the last year, it's wavered. And I'm like, who is this serving and how is it serving? Um, and I, I'm in this very much in-between place. Uh, so I think in real time, I'm, I'm going to answer your question, Mika, uh, with some real time information, which is I'm, I'm feeling like, God, I'm not asking enough questions and I'm not curious enough and <sighs> shit, that's a bummer. So speaking of critical self reflection, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm drinking, I'm drinking out of my cup right now. Some of that. Um, so what comes up for me pretty strongly in this moment is, is the, is the, I'm with you, Stephanie. We can't do it every day, all day. Look in the mirror and go, all right, uh, how are you showing up, dude? In my case, because uh, that would make us crazy. Uh, and it's an inherently messy process, I think. Um, so being a little easier on ourselves around the longer game of change. In addition to, yeah, okay, if I want to build a house, I don't just get to go, the house is built. I've got to think about it. I've got to design it. I've got to redesign it. And I've got to start and probably make a mistake and undo it and redo it. Um, so strategies, this might be, so I suppose, yeah, uh, this is a good, a good place for us to overlap here. You, you use that term a lot, which it, it it's relevant to you and it's becoming more relevant as we get to know each other. Mm. So yes, yeah, strategies of change, strategies that are both have short-term and long-term value, which I think requires awake and awareness and noticing when we go away, I've checked out now I'm back. Um, which is in my experience can be a really sometimes disheartening, sometimes tedious and also incredibly rewarding experience. Was that too abstract? I think I went into, went sort of out off the screen a little bit there. Mm-hmm. What comes? No, it's cool that you're seeing something right now. But sorry, go ahead, Mika. <laughs> no, I don't think it's abstract. And what comes to mind to me, and, and Stephanie, I wonder if your guests have spoken to this themselves, is, um, is as this happens, what the people or the places or the mindset that we've left behind and the mourning that might come with that. Um, as so I, I just came down the mountain. I'm staying with a friend for, for Corona together in, in Broomfield, uh-huh. the suburb of Denver. And it's really, it's, it's sweet. And I love that I have a sanctuary and my strange experience right now is that for the first time, I live across the street from a guy who just as the Corona started, he pulled out 10 ginormous American flags and, and put them on the lawn because we're American. Right. I, I don't know why I'm not going <laughs> to. Wow. 10, 10 big flags. That's like, a lot of flags. Yeah. Lot, suddenly there's a lot of American flags. on the Because maybe that's the right response to Corona Uber nationalism we're going to ward off the <laughs> virus with, with nationalist yeah, oh. good and, and the, the truth of the matter is that i i super get it 
I relate to it. I grew up in uniform, uh, waving yeah. flags. I'm a, I was, I mean, I, it's not that I don't get it. I totally get it. And I love, I, yeah. there's a part of me that's very compassionate and miss, I, some of me misses the childhood, the simplicity of having things, you know, just ascribed the way they are. Yeah. And, and anyway, I, I, I wonder if, if some of your guests also express a little bit I mean, how they've expressed the mourning of what is left behind, because sometimes I just it's so comforting to know that there's something that I can always go back. I can always go back to the patriarchy. I can always go back to sexism and nationalism and racism. And it's always going to be because there's a home there. There's clarity in that in that simplicity. Yeah. Uh, Um, I haven't heard it. What I've actually heard um, is just this really surprise. I'm thinking of Frank. I'm thinking of Jesse Morton, who's in the same episode as Frank. He's a former jihadi extremist. Mm. And what I hear from a lot of them is this really, um, it's like they, they aren't necessarily, they are zero steeped in Buddhist philosophy or like do not have a meditation practice. And yet they have this kind of like, capacity for egolessness or like non-attachment to a fixed identity i asked frank um something it was like what what would be his like one-line bio i don't remember what i i don't remember what the question was and he was he said something he was like yeah he's like i'm a i'm a a hockey teacher who cares about compat he's he was like i don't know what i am i'm a and then he, I don't, I don't remember exactly what he said, but it was like, it was like the thing, I wish I could remember what he said, but it was the thing that you might expect someone to say after doing like a 10 day Vipassana retreat, oh, wow. you know? And it's like, for him, it's like, he doesn't, he's just gone through the experience. That's all. And, um, just developed a capacity to not be so attached to a fixed identity. And so it's, there's just a, a more like a spaciousness mm-hmm. there is more of what I've heard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's gorgeous to hear a couple things come up. And it's one thing I wanted to ask you about that, that you shared with us because there feels like with, with Frank, such genuineness and, and like, uh, just realness that, yes. that, that just was oozing out of him at that moment. Because like you said, he just went through it. It wasn't like he designed an experience or went to a retreat yeah. or did a workshop or went to the mountaintop and meditated right. for 21 days in a row. No, he just had a fucking experience. Yeah. And turns out when you have them Very and you fun. let yourself have them, you change. Um, it, it, the, the the thing that comes up is the whole notion, and I see it a lot here, Meek and I both see it a lot, spiritual bypass or spiritual capital, uh, where people are curating their experiences and curating their images. Um, and I know we're short on time, but I do want to mention this because I loved this, uh, this evocative language. Uh, you're exploring benevolent uses of synthetic media. <laughs> And specifically asking, how might we use our fictional selves to elicit our better angels? And that, that feels like Frank is the opposite of, of f- fictional self. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, uh, before I get to that, you, you guys might even consider having Frank on the show. Oh. Or, or like, I should actually look through the guest list and see who would be good, but... I mean, yeah, Frank is would be a really interesting one precisely for the reasons you just described. He, 
He didn't do men's work. He didn't, you know, it was just, (laughs) it was like, he just went through a thing. And um, he definitely has a lot to say about it. Oh, I love so, that. Yes. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'm going to look through the like the episode list and just propose yeah. to you guys who some good. It's a take that boulder. well and it has me thinking as you're talking Stephanie what Frank went through feels a little bit more like a natural disaster or a car wreck right that the the moment of clarity that can come from a thing outside of our control and that being the the key here outside of our control which is something we're all going through right now so yeah yeah, holy shit we are yeah so in that sense like what he has to say is that much more relevant yeah Mm -hmm. um but so, but your question was about um, so to explain what I'm what what, what is going on with like what I'm actually doing. Well, to, I, I've, I've read this sentence multiple times because I really oh. like it. Uh, <laughs> okay. The benevolent uses yeah. of synthetic media. Yeah, uh, uh, I'm guessing your word choice was quite deliberate. Well, uh, because I, it's do, I mean, do you know what synthetic media? Do you know what synthetic oh, I media is? Oh, okay, yeah, I can. Um, so, do you know what a deep fake is? Have you heard a of deep that's fake? The, yeah, that deep fake. really sounds. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> is that sort of like I'm going right? No, I'm going left. <laughs> I mean, kind of. Yeah, I mean, a deep fake. Yeah. You, you probably, you probably have know them, but not by that name. Fake video. So, video that makes it look like someone is saying or doing something they never said or did. Ah, uh, gotcha, and gotcha. And it can be fun or funny, like sticking Nicolas Cage's face in a movie he never acted in, or it can go sure. in the direction of, uh, you know, having our current Just president say some something they never said. Yeah, and these videos right, look right. 100% real. And if we're already where <laughs> we're at with fake news and political misinformation, I mean, we can all just imagine the darker turns that things can take. And what I'm exploring here, so this project, so I'm I'm right now working on a project that is basically using synthetic video to take reckonings in a fictional direction. So Mm. if Brett Kavanaugh had a reckoning with the Mm. way he responded to the sexual allegations against him, what would he say? And what would that look like? Like Eve Ensler's apology letters. But as a video, yes. And actually her, so this is something I've been sitting on for years now. And her book was really good, uh, like landscape analysis for me to try to, you know, convince a funder. Like this is like imaginary apologies could be a thing. And now we can actually do them (laughs) with video. And so it will be absolutely explicit that the video is fake. But yes, the question I am exploring is, can we use our fictional or our synthetic selves to elicit or envision our better angels? And that's that's why you're bringing up um, like, what if Joe Biden would have just said this? Yes. Or what if Kavanaugh would have just said that? Yes. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's super exciting for a number of reasons. Uh, Your project where I'm coming from the exercise where you read someone else's uh let's see other people's perspectives as if they're your own feels like a similar thing and the the amazing thing about our brains and it seems like your your 
poking this very thing and pointing to it is we don't know the difference between thinking something's happening and it actually happening. And we can use that to our advantage. I mean, that's Absolutely. the beauty. It's like we can know virtual reality is fake and it can still help us overcome PTSD. Yeah. You know, like yeah. this video can say it's fake, all, you know, plastered all over yeah. it. And yet it still influences us. So, yeah, let's use our consciousness in our service. It's like the most underutilized tool in all of medicine is the placebo effect. Right. Mm. Which, you know, we can just write off or we can say, well, wow, we can actually use our consciousness to heal us or to serve yeah. us. Well, so, there's a powerful yeah. example. Let me do real quick, Mika, mm-hmm. and then we'll want to hear what you have to say. Uh, a man named Leonard Shaw, who's a gestalt therapist I worked with in grad school in Seattle uh, a number of years ago. He worked in the prison system for a long, long time with men. <clears throat> and he set up uh, an arrangement between rapists, convicted rapists, and women who were victims of sexual assault. Uh-huh. And and they were not related. So none right. of these women were assaulted by any of these men. Right. Yep. Exactly. And the men apologized to the women and it was everybody in tears, catharsis, uh, shit happened that was as real as the day. And it really changed my whole conception of what was possible around just speaking to a thing, even if the person's dead or or you'll never see them again or whatever it is that you go through the motions, the, the, the power of ceremony, ritual, deliberate, intentional action and what it can have on us. So it's, I love what you're up to there. Mm. Yeah. I want to add to that. I want to build off that. Another reason why I, I can feel my heart singing as you describe this is because throughout my life, I've been asked who my role models are. And I, I have to be honest. I don't have a lot of very good male role models. There are, they, they haven't been out there. I mean, I'd love to name my father while we're at it, but yes, he's a sweet man and no, he's not a perfect man by any stretch. Um, and but that's not the point. The point is we don't really have a model, for example, for what Eve Ensler is saying for how to apologize. Totally. I've never totally. actually seen that. Totally. So yes. to making this up as we go along, yeah. going out on a limb and being like, I, I'm going to try this and I might be crucified. Yes. Um, <laughs> but also for you, for, for this, for to create the spaciousness, to have these conversations, to normalize apology to normalize a different way of being with it is wow what's such a blessing totally totally and that and I mean that's kind of what I see my job as like my job is to make critical self-reflection look more beautiful more powerful more Mm. manly let's say than the other thing right than the like Mm. indifferent thing or the denial and deflection thing like that's that's my job Mm. as you know as an artist is to make it look more beautiful so that the like my goal would be for you know Brett Kavanaugh to to see this and say now that is the me I want to be wow that is hot (laughs) or not just Brett Kavanaugh for for me to be able to see it and say you know what that's the that's what I want to be too yeah exactly yes for all of us yeah Yeah, to make it look more compelling for everyone yeah that feels very much like a version of you using sensuality in a more intelligent uh-huh, way. Thank you. Great. I yeah. love it. I'll take it. Absolutely. Good. Yeah. Great. That's what it feels like. Yeah. It's marvelous. Oh my goodness. I feel enriched and full. Uh, um, 
and my mind is swimming. The, the way we, we work on our podcast, and I think Jeff and I are getting better and better in how we, um, I, I, you know, it doesn't need to be complete uh, strict format, but I like um, that we can actually offer certain tools and takeaways uh, uh-huh. from our episodes, things we can harvest a little bit. And, and, and I'm feeling like there's so much here to work with. And I really appreciate yeah. um, this conversation. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Me too. But if you're, so you're speaking to a tool. I mean, I feel like there is a tool in the, I mean, I haven't, I haven't thought about it in this way until you're bringing it up, but the, the, the like the tool of scripting, like the tool of, Right. Of, of, you know, scripting the reality that we want to exist and whether that means Eve Ensler style writing the apology from the person who never gave it to you or envisioning the male role model you wish you had, you know, whatever it is, it's just like scripting it into existence. I mean, my like my tagline for this project and I'm calling, you know, per deep fakes, I'm calling it deep reckoning. So it's my tag. My I don't know if this is actually going to be the timeline, but deep fake it till you make it. You know, there's deep like a, fake it till you. Wow. I mean, it's like, yeah, I mean, it's like a, <laughs> I don't know if I'm actually. Gonna, it's like a little, but but there yeah. is a yeah. It's like be the change or like script the change. You know, like actually go through the motions of imagining yeah. it and yeah, envisioning yeah. it and writing it and putting it out there so we can marvel at it and be inspired by it and then act on it. Yeah, it's that process. It feels like a, a an interpersonal, interrelational process of uh, visualization, right? There's yeah. power in visualizing things and, and have it not just to be about the secret, like, oh, I'm visualizing a yacht and a b- billion dollars. <laughs> no, I'm visualizing being a better person and having yeah. better relationships where they're more fulfilling and nourishing and I'm held more accountable and I can right. do the same for others because I love them and they love me. Right. Oh, and I like, I, I love that you brought the... Um, this the the secret up or the or the um, because so often manifestation the manifestation because so often within that conversation <laughs> actually it feels like a very white privileged conversation just envision the money and it'll come to you it's kind of like <laughs> no that's classist that's class based <laughs> and I love Stephanie the way I mean what it seems like the conversations that you're having have justice. And and healing racism and healing classism woven into them. It's not uh, privilege based. It's it's envisioning or scripting um, the the kind of justice or the the healing justice that we'd like to to, to see unfold. Mm-hmm. And anyone can do that. And anyone and can anyone do that. can script that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll go back to yeah. Speaking of tools. I want to go back to two very simple ones that we've already talked about. Uh, one is when someone wants something a different way and they share that different way with you saying, thank you. Right? <laughs> that tool is huge. Uh, and to go back to erotic intelligence, where I first heard that in that different kind of context, back to the bedroom, a woman named Catherine Jesse, who's in Canada and she's a, a sex and intimacy educator, author, trainer in the somatic sex education world. And she said, whenever your partner wants something a little different, faster, slower, softer, say thank you. 
And I totally scripted it and it changed my life. Speaking of form follows thought, turns out we change our minds, we change our lives. That was a a very relevant example for me. So that one being a really essential tool, learn how to say thank you. And also the other one being learn how to apologize. Yeah. Which there's a bit of a, I, I will say there's a bit of a bear trap in there. I think for men, especially who aren't used to that, is that they'll apologize. And as soon as the person, and I'll, I'll go binary here again, because I think it's one of the most tender places for men. As soon as the woman will say, thanks. And yeah, y- you definitely were a jerk. Then the man will often get defensive and pull back and sort of just shit all over the apology. He just tried yeah. to deliver. Um, so the slowing down and, and taking a breath and building more resilience around that. Yeah. I, I, I have to say as a parent, I mean, I, it's amazing how early in our lives, the development or the, the defensiveness shows up. My daughter started not wanting to apologize for things at yeah. two, two and a half. It, it was literally like yeah. as she started to speak. She was already <laughs> unwilling to apologize. And wow. she actually has already learned how to now at three. Mm. And she's really proud of herself when she apologizes. I don't know what we did right or I have no idea because I'm still I'm definitely not as good at it as she is now at three years old. But she'll apologize now and then tell us, be like, did you see that? I just apologized. So we're like, yeah, <laughs> you just apologize. That's mm, amazing. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's just, yeah, it's amazing to me both how, um, how early the defensiveness can show up and how strong it is. Like, it's even, I've noticed, like, I don't think this was the case in the, I don't remember which high profile case. It wasn't Harvey Weinstein. It was like baked in to the legal um, with settlement. It was like, <laughs> the, per, the, the it was like, you owe this person this much money and, but like you don't have to admit to any wrongdoing like the per- the fact that we fight for oh, that wow. in court i mean yeah wow. so it's both amazing to me how kind of strong the impulse is to be defensive and not apologize <laughs> that we're willing to like spend more money in order to you know or whatever it is or like that it even shows up at just at such a young age but you know wow. just w- at least witnessing my daughter that we can really learn to not to need to own it we can pay money to not need to own <laughs> It's so wild. It's so, it's like worth thousands of dollars, hundreds of thousands of dollars to not own. Wow. No kidding. I remember one more parenting thing. Uh, I'm sure I've done this as a father and I fortunately caught myself back to that critical self uh, inquiry. Apologize to your sister. Apologize. And the kid just like, I'm sorry. You know, that whole non-apology apology just because they checked the box. And that's been so culturally common in my upbringing where it was just, okay, fuck, my dad's not going to get off my ass Mm -hmm. until I say these two words. So what are my options? Uh, Get yelled at, get my ass beat or say, I'm sorry. Oh, cool. I'll just, I'll deliver whatever. Speaking of scripting in the wrong direction. Yeah, totally. Where we can get calcified as opposed to scripting in this more agency encouraging, right? Self-efficacy, empowerment building model of, oh, I am sorry. Or the sort of uh, the both end of, I'm sorry about this and I'm not sorry about that. Maybe, you know, we can be honest about what we're sorry for. Well, that makes me wonder what, 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 what the better thing, what the, what an alternative thing to say is rather than like, you must apologize, apologize now. Cause I definitely <laughs> have said it like that to my daughter, but like, what else? I mean, actually what I've done with her actually in this, this does, I, I've shown her the other ship. I've been like, you could say this, 
Like when Mm. she's fighting me and saying no, I'm like, you could say, okay, mom, I just introduced the like, and and (laughs) and sometimes she just grabs it. She's like, oh, that's right. That is another thing I could do right now. But um, but that's a really nice question that I'm going to do with is just like, what's, what's another way? What's another way? Yeah. Yeah. And that to, to, to maybe offer another tool, that feels very much like a nervous system thing. When we're a little hyper aroused in our nervous system, uh, we don't have access to, okay, mom, we have access to no. Yeah. And if it gets pushed on, we have access to no and no. And then a triple no uh, until, like, say, you did this great job of, oh, you know, sweetie, you could say, okay, mom. And that brings us into our frontal cortex, mm-hmm. right in the front of our brain, instead of our reptilian hind brain, mm-hmm. or our amygdala just chills out a little bit. Mm-hmm. Oh, right! I could not push against this immovable object. I could just say, "Okay, cool," mm-hmm. which feels simple and also potentially profound. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to keep mm-hmm. the thing rolling along. Yeah, keep the game. Well, these are all off. great parenting right. tips for all. All, all you breeders out there. Right. <laughs> yeah. They might work for friends, family members. I, I think know. it probably does. Try it at home, yeah. Oh, okay, friend. Yeah. Oh, hey. Yeah, okay. Well, yeah. I'm asking the question, is it actually really worth it? That feels like a good question to hold. Is it worth it to, to hold my opinion here, to stand firm or is it more worth it to have connection and curiosity? Well, not to open a whole Pandora's box because I do feel like we're, we're on, we're, at time, uh, we're on we're close, time, yeah. but what this brings yeah. up for me, is a very cultural conversation. Um, I've been living in the States now for, I think four years, four or five years. And I've always noticed a little bit of a difference culturally from where I come from in, in the States where uh, I noticed that a, uh, this is obviously very broad generalization, and I don't mean to make it this way. And for the most part, I've actually been mostly with Jewish American communities. But I, there's a feeling to which folks um, do a good job at thinking before they talk and figuring out how the how the person they're speaking with is going to perceive what they're saying. How, how do I package this the best? Versus Israeli culture, which is, which expects you to say what you're feeling as you're feeling it and to trust that person fully and that it's going to be fine if it comes out crude or rude or awful. I'd rather it that and I'll trust them than to know that somebody's thinking twice before they're saying before they talk. So uh-huh. Americans, for the most part in Israeli culture, are not trusted. You don't. Right. <laughs> and, right. And, and I and I grew up with like, don't trust somebody who seems to be packaging their words. Totally. First. Yeah. I want to know, you know, blah, puke it out on me. I want to know what's really yeah. going on. And anyway, that, thoughtfulness leads to deception. Right. Although do you do you then kind of change your strategy based on who you're talking to? With Israelis, I feel much more comfortable to just yeah. say whatever. But then again, yeah. I've been working with a group or living you know, around a community of Israelis in Boulder that have also been here for four uh, years. They've like been to Naropa. Everybody's a little more refined. So we're doing, it's a little bit different. Um, okay. Israelis that have been to Naropa. Interesting. Right? So they really have broad horizons. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's exactly nice. right. Anyway, that's, yeah. that's, that, that's what comes to mind when it comes to like, um, 
you know, you can also say it this way or say it that way versus just tell me what's going on and we'll work through it. Right. Together. Yeah. Right. Well, this seems like a good time to, to close. This was so fun. You guys are so good at this. You guys are so like, (laughs) I just haven't had that many. I don't know. It's so, it really does actually feel like a conversation, which is really nice. Like it doesn't, Mm. doesn't feel like an interview and not that interviews aren't great, but it, it just does feel so much more generative, like much more flowing. And like, I don't totally know where it's going. I mean, it's going wherever we feel like it's going and, yeah, you have a really nice dynamic between you two, which is fun to be a part of. Well, to be a part of. Yeah. Stephanie, oh, thank you. Yeah. yeah. That's very sweet. Yeah. Yeah. It's been a pleasure talking with you and Mika. I, I'm so, yeah, I want to keep talking. but Yeah, I mean, I feel like if we were at a bar, we would just like all order another round. <laughs> yeah, another Multiple round. Yeah, let's rounds, keep going. Except for the fact yeah, yeah, yeah. that I'm pregnant. Very but intentionally, centrally, order, order another round. Drink. Yes, yes. We would. Oh, that's kombucha. right, because... Um, wink, wink, please. nudge, nudge. <laughs> Can we say it? Can we out yeah. you? Sure. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, and everybody in between, we have a special announcement. Stephanie is expecting. <laughs> Baby number two. Yes, number two in September. Lechaim, yeah. congratulations. Wonderful. Toda, toda. Thank you. Thank you. Thank mm. you. To wrap it up the way we do, I mean, Jeff, you can tell me if this is if this is good, I mean, uh, uh, you know how Sesame Street episodes would wrap up with this episode was brought to you by the letter L. Well, it was brought the letter L or it was and the color blue transformative change. Bring a better boat. We talked about a better boat, Uh make a better boat, make make a better boat. Um, And we and brought to you also by scripting, Mm. which is a tool to use when we want to actually name what it is, you know, lean into what it is we want. And by learning to apologize and learning to say thank you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think good. we could Love also it. say safely it's brought to you by the color red because Stephanie's wearing a red sweater and red <laughs> earrings. So that's pretty great. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> and uh, I recognize it because I watched some of your videos on your yeah. Your YouTube channel. Yeah, I figured I would kind yeah. of stay consistent with the aesthetic. <laughs> oh yeah, you're yeah. rocking it. It's great. So brought to you also by the color red. The color red. <laughs> and Stephanie, thank you so so much for hopping yeah. online with us. I uh, I may we please reserve since this is such a pleasure. Um, the when the time is right, the opportunity to have you on our podcast once more. We would. Love oh yes, to please. Pop back onto this Wonderful. conversation. So we'll in the future. still get to have that proverbial other round. Yes, please. Yeah. Sweet. Yeah. 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 Good. Great. Super. Okay. Well, <laughs> have a beautiful, beautiful week. You too. Yeah. yeah. Looking forward Thank to you, continuing Stephanie. the conversation. Thank you. Bye. Thanks, Stephanie. <laughs> Bye. This has been another episode of The Better Bozo. So please find us on the interwebs at thebetterbozo.com, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google, Podcast, all the things. Facebook. Um, please, by all Facebook. means, hop, yeah. hop onto the Patreon page. Hey, guys. Yeah. Yeah, bunch of bozos. 
<laughs> yeah, hook it up, man. Give us a dollar a month, two dollars a month, dollar seventy-five. I don't know if that's possible. You know, leave leave um, a tip. Leave a tip. Uh, yeah, and like and subscribe and rate and review our podcast would be a big help. And if you think it's valuable, share it with one or more of your better bozo friends or bozos that you want to be better. Um, we'd appreciate the hell out of it and you. So, and thanks to Henry Alter Audio for the music and the post production. Um, um, yeah. Um, I don't know when this is going to be broadcast, probably still within, within a couple of weeks actually. Cause yeah, soon. So we're still within the Corona global transformation moment. I hope everybody's safe, totally. taking care of yourselves and your loved ones. Yeah. yeah. Socially isolate and also connect however you can safely. Yeah. Sort of like wearing a condom on your whole body. That's right. Practice safe connection. Consent. This is a great opportunity to lean into learning about <laughs> consent. Great, well, good point, Mika. <laughs> this is a great opportunity to rewrite, rescript your relationship with consent. That's right. You can't just go up to people within six feet and say, "How's it going, man?" No, you have to look them in the eye and you have to connect in a completely different way yes. and find consent yeah. on a whole different exactly. level. Okay. Well, thanks for listening to The Better Buzz. We'll see you again soon. Bye.